Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, guess what? What? This is our second time doing this episode. <laughs> that's that's right. Unfortunately, <laughs> listeners, our first recording of this episode uh, was eaten by the internet and uh, <laughs> no longer exists on this plane or any recognizable plane. Yes, uh, unfortunately, it has shifted dimensions. Uh, it belongs to the web now. Um, and I think the, the cool thing about the web is that there's a giant spider on it that <laughs> devours podcast episodes. So we did feed the spider, which I think stops it from coming into our world. Yes, yes, we've uh, we've um, <laughs> we've ex- <laughs> we've successfully kept the spider at bay. And therefore, uh, we live to fight another day. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna record this episode again, um, which unfortunately I think means a little bit that it, it might not feel as um, uh, with that. What did you call it? The genuine feeling of discovery. Well, yeah, um, because so often we we come into our podcast with just a couple of notes, and we're not really sure what we're gonna say next. Uh, and this time around, we're very sure of what we're gonna say next because we're trying to hit those same points. Um, so it might not feel as, uh, as, uh, loosey goosey as unplanned. Uh, <laughs> we might lack some of that live podcasting magic, but then again, we might discover new deeper things about our subject today. Yeah. So, uh, let's uh, go ahead and get started. Uh, we want to thank, first of all, I'd like to extend just the, the biggest warmest thank you to uh listener Gerardo who sent us the kindest email uh, he l- listens to our show and uh, has engaged with our show and sent us some really good ideas for future episodes. And uh, Gerardo, thank you so much for, for that email and for the idea for this episode. Yeah. When we read that email, uh, Alice, you and I, we talked about it right away. Um, and we were so excited to have this this piece of fan mail with all of these great ideas in it. And this one word popped out at me and I was like, we got to do an episode about diegesis at the theme parks and we right away started like doing some research and getting our thoughts together and here we are um with a episode just for you gerardo and everybody else who listens to it (laughs) (laughs) so let's go ahead and get started with a quick definition what is diegesis diegesis uh can loosely be defined as uh a style of storytelling uh that presents an interior view of the fictional world so what does that mean because that's kind of hard to parse well it kind of assumes a uh internal logic of a particular fictional setting so uh, diegetic things that happen within a narrative make sense within the fictional world and are separate from our world. We, the audience, viewing, listening to, reading the fiction, um, know that there are separations, and calling attention to that is another form of diegesis. Uh, we, we kind of presume a detachment uh, between both the speaker and the audience and the story. And it sounds like it kind of means just the general like form of fiction that fiction takes on a day-to-day basis. And that's kind of true because we kind of prefer this kind of detachment, this uh, not-quite-living-in-it sort of fiction where things can happen in our fiction that... Um, are separate from our world and also things can happen in the telling of the fiction that are separate from the fiction itself and I hope that I have made myself clear Alice because (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a lot right it sounds like a lot I think maybe a a, a good example something that that maybe uh, listeners who are unfamiliar with the idea of of diegesis um Maybe the most, probably the most common use of the word diegesis or diegetic uh, when talking about film, for example, would be uh, diegetic sound. When yeah, you're diegetic wa- sound, specifically music, I think. Yes, specifically music. So when you're watching a film and the characters in the film start hearing music and, res- 
and responding to music or you see music being played, whether it's at a party or a concert or they're walking down the street and there's somebody busking with music on the ground. If there's music being performed or being produced on screen that the characters can hear, that is diegetic music. Whereas the opposite of that would be like film scores. Non-diegetic music. Non-diegetic music is the film score. So you're watching, say, The Lord of the Rings and the fellowship crests the top of the hill and the fellowship theme starts swelling and it fills you with an emotion and it has meaningful storytelling uh, purpose. But the characters, of course, do not hear that music. That music is for you, the audience alone. It is non-diegetic. Right. It provides something for the audience, uh, either emotional or maybe it communicates something about what the characters are doing, um, maybe what they're thinking or feeling. Music can fill in a lot of those gaps, but it is not for the characters to hear. If Indiana Jones can hear his theme music, Alice, he is the luckiest person ever. <laughs> yeah, everybody wants a good theme song to to uh, have adventures by, but the characters cannot hear their theme songs uh with the exception of probably deadpool right he probably hears all of his own music (laughs) but um but of course yeah that's the the exception and like a deliberate break of the fourth wall uh rather than than the rule but um we've talked about the fourth wall before and we've talked about the difference between um between being in a story versus just watching a story uh, and this is where I think diegetics uh, and theme park rides uh, start to uh, come together. The theme park ride just on its own, uh, it, it like naturally in its form invites you into the story. Yeah, the fourth wall is uh, is definitely less pronounced in many theme park rides. Um, and yeah, just like in our episode about it, uh, the fourth wall has varying degrees of existing and not existing with theme park rides, um, much more than in other media, where if the fourth wall gets broken in a movie, it's like a specific purposeful call out to the fourth wall itself and that's what's happening there but if the fourth wall is broken in a theme park ride it's different because it's experiential right you're supposed to be living the experience in some way uh so we end up with a very different kind of set of rules and that plays into a very different way of diegesis or diegetic things uh being included or playing out within theme park rides specifically because every every piece of media every every different medium has its own relationship with diegetics there are some movies where they make an effort to only include diegetic music even if that diegetic music is like very appropriate so that's like kind of bending the line a little bit right like if every time they turn on the radio just the right music is playing uh that would be a bending of the diegetic line but in theme park rides, it's even wobblier, uh, I would say, <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. the difference between what exists in the universe of the fiction of the ride, especially rides that tell stories, um, and what audiences actually see and interact with and what is there just for the audiences is is changing all the time. And I think there's no better example of what can and what can be both diegetic and not diegetic than the ride vehicles themselves so that's what this episode's main argument is is that the uh ride vehicles at different theme parks are constantly in a state of diegetic flux unlike (laughs) anything in any other medium uh be it movies or video games or literature the theme park diegetics are so wonky uh <laughs> and we're here to talk about it today yeah so i think we should um we should start with a with a couple of uh, of examples of like what theme park vehicles will be will be talking about right uh, and, specifically and we should probably give kind of a definition of like what a good diegetic theme park vehicle uh is Right. Uh, uh, do you want to start with like the most obvious, like really, really good theme park vehicle? Which one were you, which one are you thinking when you said that? 
Indiana Jones. Oh, you want to start with Indiana Jones Adventure? That's the best one. Okay, sure. Absolutely. And I think this one is so good because it uh, really gets to why this line is so wobbly. So in the Indiana Jones Adventure, Temple of the Forbidden Eye, you uh, board a Jeep. That is the ride vehicle that you are in. Uh, now, this is a special Jeep, uh, Alice. It right. has, it has, what is it, four rows of five people? Yeah, it's a really big Jeep. <laughs> it's a really, really big Jeep. Uh, way bigger than most Jeeps. Um, but it also doesn't have a roof. Um, <laughs> so it's it's a really interesting thing where the perhaps ideal in-universe ride vehicle for this uh, for this attraction is a Jeep. Like, that makes a lot of sense. Indiana Jones does a lot of work around Jeeps. Jeep is a good choice here. In fact, Alice, there's a Jeep out front of the ride, out front of the attraction, um, that is from the film. It's from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wait, it's... the the Jeep that's like on display out there? That's not just a like a like a fake Jeep? That's really one from the film? Yeah, that's a real picture car. Uh there's even some leftovers on there uh from filming. There's like a like a golf ball looking kind of thing on an antenna. And that was to help stuntmen move around the car while they were filming on it. So that's a real picture car from the from the Whoa. actual uh, film. So that's so cool, right? That's so, so cool. Indiana Jones hangs out on Jeeps, does stunts on Jeeps. You're going to be like him in a Jeep, right? Sure. But here's all of this weird stuff about this Jeep that we're supposed to agree is just kind of part of the fiction. So Right. The fact that it's enormous and doesn't have a roof and has seatbelts that look like every other ride seatbelt with the yellow tab to pull on and right. even even little nets for your earthly belongings <laughs> yeah uh those things that you just accept as well we're going on a theme park ride so this is just how the theme park ride looks but you're given an extremely good in-universe reason to be in a jeep even to be in a really big jeep the ride you uh, the Indiana Jones ride and the safety video before you get on the ride, like specifically show this Jeep as being the vehicle you're going to travel in. There's an old timey black and white video with the five, you know, five person, five by four, you know, like 20 people to a car Jeep cruising on through the um, through the temple. Yeah. And you're and never given a reason to doubt that this is the this is the diegetic ride vehicle for the experience that you are about to be in right and if indiana jones himself were to travel into this temple he would do it on a jeep like this uh, exactly and and that's why i think the jeep feels so right but there's some other stuff about the way the jeep is deployed i think that make it uh even more make even more sense like uh along the course of the ride there's never a path that you have to go down that the jeep can't fit down <laughs> it um, even goes across like a rope bridge and the jeep should not be able to go across that as, rope bridge. as we all know ancient idol worshiping cu cultures in their temples built jeep sized rope bridges <laughs> um and that's that's just true alice and if you can't accept that then you're not a real historian Okay, that's the, you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, you know, the Jeep also, uh, the engine turns off halfway through the ride, right? Uh, there's a part where you turn on the headlights to see the bug shadows and things like that. There's all sorts of ways that the ride vehicle becomes part of the fiction and therefore becomes more believable. Yes. The things that we kind of accept as part of the fiction, as outside the fiction, are the fact that at one point the Jeep plays the Indiana Jones theme music. <laughs> it um, does, over the radio. <laughs> now, now, in what world, Alice? Because, you know, Sala radios in at the beginning and he's like, hey, watch out. The uh, the Jeep's kind of kind of it's it's got bad brakes. Go go slow. Um, and then the radio just starts playing music to accompany every situation. So that is all non diegetic. Right. Right. So so the line between diegesis uh, or diegetic and non diegetic things is always shifting, especially in the case of theme park rides. I think in some cases, the ride vehicles are very, very diegetic and successfully place the audience within the fiction. 
Um, and in other cases, the ride vehicles are completely non-diegetic. They have like no real world analogs, no fictional analogs. Right. The uh, example that Gerardo used in the email, for example, uh, just to, to bring it back to our good friend Gerardo here, uh, he used the example of uh, the Little Mermaid ride. Yeah, the, the Little Mermaid one in uh, California Adventure. In California Adventure, to go through the Little Mermaid ride, you sit in a clamshell and then you kind of just float through the story of the Little Mermaid. There's, uh, there's nothing... I mean, sure, the clamshell is thematically appropriate for being in the water, but it itself, the clamshell, serves no narrative purpose to the story. Right, and not to mention the clamshells are on a conveyor belt style Omnimover system. Praise All the Omnimover. Praise the Omnimover. Um, and the thing is that the the shell is like never explained. Um, there's no calling out of the shell like, oh, hey, our, our audience is in giant shells. Um, and on top of that, there's another layer of diegetic uh, removal from the story because at the very beginning, the seagull... Um, who I want to say his, his name is Chomper. <laughs> Scuttle. Right. Okay. So Chomper at the beginning <laughs> is like, uh, hey, here's the story of my friend Ariel and how she grew legs or something like that. And then the shells go underwater. There's a neat projected water effect. And then you, again, float through the story. Um, so here's a ride vehicle that is perfectly functional. Um, it works really well. There are speakers inside the shell, so you can get certain sound effects timed to the ride. Um, it, it can point you at certain places at certain times. It can move and wobble. It's a very nice ride vehicle. It works, but it has no diegetic connection to the story or the fiction. It's simply a pretty themed moving chair to steal another <laughs> phrase from our friend Gerardo who who called them moving chairs and I agree with that it's just a chair that moves um, and a lot of ride vehicles could be called that however I think ride vehicles become more powerful when they have diegetic purpose within the story so to kind of transition to a, a perhaps more effective diegetic use of a car um, let's use an actual car as an example. Alice, I'd like to call your attention to Exhibit C, Roger Rabbit's Cartoon Spin. I love that ride. <laughs> I know. And this is not the first time that we've brought it up, but this is a very well-themed dark ride. Um, and it makes use excellent use of the space, of perspective, and all sorts of different things. But we don't talk about the ride vehicle enough. And the ride vehicle is Benny the Cab, the actual character from the movie Roger Rabbit, who framed Roger Rabbit. Right. You get into Benny the Cab. You 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 jump into the cab just like if you were a character in the film. Just I mean, like yeah, Roger he doesn't have and Eddie do in the film. Exactly. I mean, he doesn't have a roof on him. You know, he never it, does. Oh, he never does. He never does. He, the the ride vehicles look exactly like the character from the film, albeit smaller. Um, they wow, they're. I, I, I don't remember that. They Sorry. They have the headlights as eyes, just like in, just like, yeah. just like in the the movie. And so you get into the into the cab, just like you were Roger Rabbit himself. Um, but they're not saying, "Hey, you're Roger Rabbit. You're hopping in the in in the cab for a ride through the city." Yeah, that's it. You know, you're doing exactly what you would do in a cab, uh, which is hop in a cab and go somewhere. Right. So, but right away. Um, a couple of, couple of things happen. Benny the Cab slips on a puddle of dip and he goes into a big spin. A big uncontrolled spin. Big uncontrolled spin, which is another thing that happens in the film at one point. He yeah, does. It's taken right out of the scene. Benny slips across some dip and, and skids for, okay, for like a second. <laughs> but in the ride, he skids for, I don't know, like seven minutes, the however long the ride, the ride is. <laughs> um, and, but that skid allows you is the reason why you have control of the steering wheel and why you're able to make the car spin right it you're trying to you spin a, benny in or out of the spin whichever <laughs> one you're supposed to do but both neither both? Spin, you, you spin into a spin spin into and then out of the spin right. but then you can't ever stop spinning right um, so you just keep spinning <laughs> 
And but that gives you a very good diegetic reason for having the spin control wheel in front of you. <laughs> you you get to control how fast or slow you want to spin. I personally usually spend the entire ride spinning my car in as many circles as possible to make my uh, to make my uh, my co-pilot sick. <laughs> right, and, and there are two kinds of people in the world, Alice, those who spin and those who try to spe- steer Benny as well as they can. And I am a type B steer <laughs> Benny sort of person. Definitely, I'm a type A. I want to just spin around in as many circles as possible. Right. I hit those turns as fast as I can so that I can, so that it makes my spin even even faster that's yes. <laughs> that's how i ride this ride that's why <laughs> you and i get different cars <laughs> um, but we gotta we gotta we gotta call it out benny makes a lot of sense here now there are some things about benny that are non-diegetic right uh for example we see roger in ah uh, benny i guess uh he's spinning as we start to spin we see Roger spinning around in yes. a Benny. Yes, okay, so we do see that. We see that. We also see people riding in other Bennies as we go through <laughs> the ride, which yes. raises all sorts of questions like, is Benny one of a bunch of cabs that like live in a, a warehouse somewhere? Um, is Benny a unique person? Is this the same Benny? Lots and lots of different questions because Roger seemed to know Benny in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, I'd always thought Benny was one guy, but there's a lot of Bennies here. And Maybe there's a fleet of Bennies. A fleet of Bennies. Maybe they're like a hive mind. They all share information. So, like, you know oh. one Benny, you know all the Bennies. Uh, I like that. And all the Bennies know you. That would be really cool. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's never explained. And we just kind of take that as part of the separation between us and the fiction. This is all a non-diegetic element of the ride. Um, things that are not actually part of the ride itself, but part of the way that we experience the ride, which I guess yeah. is another way to look at diegetics, not part of the fiction, part of the way we experience the fiction. And I think that's a really succinct way to put it. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. And that's why like specifically you couldn't use, I think that definition in any other form of media. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah kind of could, with film, I, I suppose, but that kind of immersiveness, the experiencing the fiction is really pretty specific to theme park rides, I think, um, because you you aren't just viewing the fiction, you are in and part of the fiction. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a little bit more to talk about maybe like with video games and the way that you oh, experience okay. a video right. game. Um, and the interfaces that you use to experience it and the levels to which those are explained in the fiction. Uh, sure. So yeah. Like, like different maps examples. that you can see. And, yeah. Like, yeah. like if you have a map, does it look hand drawn? Does it look like a map that the character would see? Um, is because that would make it more diegetic. If you have an inventory, is it set up like an actual backpack and it can only fit certain things? Cause that's more diegetic than an infinite inventory of hundreds of items and all of the, I don't know, cheese wheels that you can pick up in Skyrim. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's non-diegetic. Obviously, this character isn't walking around with dozens of cheese wheels falling out of their pockets. Like, so there are there are limits to the reality of the experience that uh, we kind of push aside in our brains because they're not important to how we experience the fiction or really they're not important to the reality of the fiction and they allow us to experience the fiction. But maybe, Um, maybe what makes the, the theme park ride diegetic experience, like what, what makes that so unique and special, I think probably comes from, um, from the actual act of, of movement of motion. I think that, um, say it will take uh, Indiana Jones again, for example, the, the movement of the of the Jeep and the like Jeep like turns that it made the super sharp kind of dangerous turns that a Jeep Jeep can make and the bumps in the road and stuff like that add to the add to the experience of like, like why why a theme park and and why these these diegetic things put into the theme park ride are so important and unique is 
is it it is so immersive and and little things like that like you could just be on a jeep in indiana jones and just be sailing through smooth as anything but they choose to put in actual diegetic like um like the brakes don't quite work properly um when you drive over the rope bridge you do bump over every um every slab of wood that makes the the bridge you feel everything and it's not just about music it's not just about even what you see but about what you're actually feeling yeah and i think i think it's that feeling and and the way that we can add or subtract those little details from the experience and the way that that's so purposeful and designed that makes theme park rides and attractions so cool from a diegetic standpoint uh because so many choices are being made uh, either to allow something to exist or not exist within the ways that you're moving the audience. Um, and that's why the ride vehicle is such a cool point of focus for talking about that, right? Because there are plenty of bad examples in Disneyland alone of really, really non-diegetic ride vehicles. I think just about everything in Fantasyland except Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Um, uh, <laughs> right, where you're just kind of in a, a wooden cart that is maybe vaguely carved in the theme of, say, Pinocchio or Snow White or, um, um, you know what, Peter Pan. You get on a really cool boat uh, in Peter that Pan. Is, that is really cool and pretty darn diegetic. It even flies the way you would expect it to in the universe of P- Peter Pan. Now, nobody ever says... And Tinkerbell will enchant your flying boat, and that's how you'll take off. Uh, nobody like gives it fictional purpose. So the ride has a very well themed car, um, but it, it's not given. You're, you're, there's no uh, diegetic reason for a pirate ship flying through the bedroom of the darlings and out the window. Right, you can't fit a whole ship in the bedroom in a nursery of a London townhome. That's just that's just ridiculous, buddy. <laughs> Well, you know, that's just because you lack the courage, Alice, to to try it. Uh, But also, like, the size of this vehicle and the way that it moves only makes sense from the context of it's a theme park ride. It needs to seat, you know, four adults or, you know, six with their kids, I guess. Um, But, like, that's it. That's the reason it's the size it is. That's the reason it's the shape it is, because it's a Peter Pan ride. So, like... It exists completely non-fictionally. Yes. The Alice in Wonderland ride. You climb inside the caterpillar. That's terrifying. Uh, (laughs) Because the caterpillar is like a character with with like feelings and... (laughs) He's a huge jerk and you also encounter him in the ride. Even though you're sitting on him. Even though you're sitting in him, Alice, not on him. You open a side hatch on his body and climb in. <laughs> Same with Dumbo the Flying Elephant in oh, no. Dumbo's Flying Circus. Sitting in in Dumbo. In Dumbo. Right. There, there but, are but giant plastic of... seats in Dumbo. But that kind of thing is adorable and looks cute and and makes sense maybe for small children but if you try to think about it diegetically it totally falls apart it is a theme park ride specifically existing to be a theme park ride but and there's nothing wrong with that they're being silly they're not actually (laughs) terrifying it's fun and exciting to get inside the caterpillar or climb aboard dumbo and go through the adventure of your favorite friends like that's fun we're, we're not trying to, like, be, like, the dark truth of the theme park ride industry. <laughs> no, 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 of course not. And, and, of course, every single ride vehicle is chosen for a reason. People like the Imagineers at Disney don't do anything on accident. There's a lot of design work and a lot of thought that gets put into this, which is why I've, I think that... Um, that it's important that these ride vehicles kind of exist on, like, a spectrum uh, with, with like fully diegetic on, on one end and fully non-diegetic on the other end. And you can kind of pick and choose which diegetic and non-diegetic elements that you want to include in your ride vehicle. And I think they, they probably go through months of conversations about what kind of, uh, what kind of vehicle, what kind of 
uh, of experience that they want to, what kind of emotions even that they want to convey with how people get on the ride, not just what they see, but actually how they get on the ride, which is why, I mean, Disney and their design work are, are so legendary. Yeah. I mean, it's can, not accidental. You can buy merchandise that is focused specifically on like the silhouettes of the ride vehicles. Like, right, you can purchase a toy version of the Space Mountain, like rocket. No, just how, the, how just the rocket itself. Is the rocket. <laughs> I don't know. It's very small. <laughs> it, it, it also uh, doesn't have any kind of life support systems. I mean, we talked about this <laughs> when we were making up uh, a Space Mountain movie based on Ponders's uh, messages. Um, oh, such a such a good idea. It is. Uh, and call us Disney. That one's not free. Uh, episode twenty for those of you who are just joining us. Um, now. Alice, I, I want to talk about a couple classic examples and maybe a couple of examples of uh, other theme parks. Like, I'd like to talk about, like, Universal Studios a little because they oh. don't get enough love on this show. They do not get enough love on this show. And I think Diegetic Ride Vehicles is something that they do extremely well. Yeah. Uh, the best example, of course, is the uh, of, of Universal Diegetic Ride Vehicles has to be the Jurassic Park River Adventure. That's perfect because the jurassic park river adventure is a theme park ride at a theme park featuring dinosaurs so, <laughs> so the fiction is you climb in a theme park ride sized boat and the because boat, it's a theme park ride. right and the boat is shaped like a theme park ride and thus has four rows of five um and that makes sense because you need people to move through the theme park ride. Uh, right. So there's no questions to be asked about why these boats exist or why they're shaped the way they are. Um, on top of that, they even have uh, little diegetic elements that imply added safety features that had been thought of by Jurassic Park's designers, such as the first aid kit and flashlight that you can see kind of embedded into the body of the boat. So like, Overall, it's a really perfect ride vehicle. Like, it, it's completely diegetic to what its purpose is. It exists it is, within the fiction so well. It is fully, yeah, it is fully in canon with the fiction of Jurassic Park. The film, the universe of Jurassic Park has, the, has these boats in existence. And so you get in one. Yeah. And then you go on a theme park ride. The and only... it's not just a theme park ride. It's a theme park ride designed after a theme park ride. <laughs> right. So it's 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 the layers of removal for the audience are non-existence. The only way that it could be more diegetic is if it were Ford Explorers on an electric track uh, <laughs> with like bubble ceilings. Because oh, I was, or, or those those cool um, like glass balls that they ride around in in Jurassic World. <laughs> uh, yeah, like those would be really cool. I wonder what a ride featuring those would look like and feel like, but I bet it would look a lot like those scenes from Jurassic World. Like, that's just what they would be because yeah. that is something that was designed to be a theme park ride. So that's what it would be. It would just be that, but something bad would happen along the way because that's the <laughs> universal plot structure. Um, yes. You get, you, you are going on a ride or having an experience and then uh, uh, that should be normal. And then all of a sudden it's not normal. Something anymore. goes bad. Uh, the something goes bad narrative is so, so normal for you. I'm sure we've talked about it already, we but definitely I brought it up. I love it. And also listeners, if you're interested in more Jurassic Park talk, we do have an entire episode dedicated to Jurassic Park, uh, the Jurassic Park river adventure. Specifically. Um, and uh, yeah, so we talk more about about where those certain design elements come from uh, in that. But but specifically, the ride vehicle uh, is entirely diegetic. Every every and and that, and that happens with a lot of Universal rides. Um, it, when you get on the Simpsons ride, for example, you're hopping into a roller coaster car, right? Like that, you you are in line to ride the roller coaster at Krusty Land, and then they put you in. The ride, yeah, and then you get on it. It's that's, designed exactly like a roller coaster because, I mean, that's what it is. And you sit four by four, which is not totally unusual for a roller coaster setup. No, not not entirely unusual. But I it, mean, it's it a little big a really for weird, a roller coaster car. It's but... a weird intro, though, where the car goes up an elevator shaft. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a little weird, but you know, that's just getting you in into the into the room with the big screen. It's. Yeah. 
it's not it's not wholly it's not it's not too crazy of a of a feeling and it and it could maybe it could be improved by just tilting the car backwards so it was like you're going up a like a roller coaster like, a, like, like a hill like a clack yeah that would be yeah. pretty good that that would probably improve that that moment you know Alice, there's there's one there's one attraction at Universal Studios that I think does the whole diegetic thing really well, inviting audiences into the fiction. And that attraction is the tram tour. Oh, yes. I mean, I love the tram the tour. The tram is a character, isn't it? Uh, the fiction that it takes place in is not a fiction, it's reality. And then once in a while, the tram guide will invite you to kind of play in fiction with them so like when you enter the tomb of the mummy and then there are like creepy lights and then the tram uh the tram guide is dead or whatever (laughs) Uh, or like oh no here we go we're going to kong island uh look out and oh oh no the the fast and the furious are are tokyo drifting look out um (laughs) oh no it's uh it's whoville look out uh (laughs) Right. So the, the, the fun the fun part about the tram tour and I think the the fiction that, that you get to experience while being on the tram tour is A, you get to experience completely nonfiction real life like movie experiences. You get to go through backlots and and um and big studios where they're actually filming doing actual work there. And that's that's extremely cool. It gets people this awesome like look into how movie making works and and why what makes it magical but also the yeah the tram ride itself the like the iconic idea of being on a tram that's going through the through the universal backlight you see that in films sometimes there they even show clips of it of all the times that the universal tram has featured in actual movies. So so you're kind of given this opportunity to think, well, maybe I in my passing tram am also going to be in a film or featured in a film. I'm I'm you become immersed in this idea of the act of filmmaking, which in itself is a little larger than life, is a little uh, a little uh a, a little fictional a, a little bit to to people who who this isn't their normal life. You're like, "Oh, here's this this completely fictional idea of being of being on a movie set and but it's here it's real it's happening in my face along with yeah these little detours you take where you go on skull island and meet king kong or you drive the uh, jaws jumps out at you and <laughs> and which is so such a cool thing to happen where where you're immersed then in your favorite movies yeah and, but but you do it in a in a, a nonfiction setting at the same time. It is a really, really unique like entertainment structure that I, I really enjoy. It's really cool. And and as it keeps changing it, uh they they keep playing with this uh this line between the fiction of the tour, like, oh no, the Fast and the Furious like really are driving around us. Or like, oh no, That's we're really real being, life. we're really being attacked by King Kong. And, and then as soon also, as you're done with it, you drive away from it and then they tell you, oh, this was achieved with this kind of 3D screen. This was this kind of cool technology. Here's some cool back uh, behind the scenes facts. Right. And so they break so, the fiction right away. So the fiction is purely temporary. But I think what's cool is the way that the fictional pieces interact with the tram. This this very solid, ordinary, just run of the mill tram. Uh, and make it feel like it can exist in the fiction. And I think that's oh, what's so powerful about it. Yeah, a great example uh, in the King Kong 360 3D experience. Uh, while you're sitting there watching King Kong fight dinosaurs, one of the dinosaurs rips off <laughs> the back end of the tram. You see the tram, or, or you see a piece of tram in the dinosaur's mouth and gets like thrown away and animated tourists going, no! Do those people like, die? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, at, well, maybe King Kong catches them and puts them back down safely. Aww, um, nice. He's a nice boy. Yeah, I, um, I can imagine that his grip would be very fuzzy. 
<laughs> so you actually like physically see on the screen the tram being interacted with. You're not just seeing King Kong fight dinosaurs. King Kong is fighting dinosaurs and occasional, occasionally he jumps on top of the tram and the whole thing moves and it, the tram becomes, yeah, a character in the story. Yeah. And that's that's cool. so cool. Now, Alice, I, I can't end the Universal Studios uh, section without talk, talking about maybe my least favorite uh, car there. And yes. I know you know what I'm going to say. Uh, yes. And but, I was surprised to hear that this was your least favorite car, but you have some really good reasons. Yeah. I, Alice, uh, we don't have this in Hollywood anymore. It's still barely hanging on in Orlando. But the E.T. ride is... <laughs> is so weird with its use of ride vehicle and the question of the diegetics of it I think is really fascinating uh, because you experience this ride on a bicycle um, yeah yeah it, you experience this ride on a bicycle which what I remember from the one time that I rode the ride I remember thinking oh this is fun I'm on a bike just like Elliot just like Elliot I'm Elliot and you know that's the idea I think that's the idea with with the choice to put the audience on a bicycle um but it also doesn't make any gosh darn sense and I just (laughs) I won't stand for it because the the ride follows the plot of the movie for about 2.5 seconds (laughs) <laughs> um, you're you're flying around above the cops and the trees, and ET pops up in the basket, and then he points to the second star to the right, and you fly into a portal through space and land on ET's planet so that ET can tell them about love, and you're on a bicycle, Alice. <laughs> How did you get through space on a bicycle? I guess E.T. magic? I don't... Probably E.T. magic, but how magical is E.T.? Because he, he had just... He had just almost died. He had... he had, His his heart was bad or something. I forget the end of that movie. Um, and he needed to go home, so he did through a portal. Instead of getting picked up by his alien space buddies, which is what happens at the end of the actual movie, and... And instead, you you fly on a bike to his home planet and they sing, Alice, and you're on a bike. And as much as I really do love the first couple of moments of that ride where you're kind of soaring above uh, Elliot's hometown and just kind of experiencing that feeling of freedom and flight, it's a really weird thing to have that completely diegetic uh, ride vehicle, which is, you know, it's cool because it's like bikes, but they're not like in a line. They're kind of in a box. So all the bikes feel kind of like they're flying in formation. Um, Yeah. And it kind of really is believable to that last moment of the movie where they fly on the bikes. Um, But then to take that and put it in a completely new fiction, this kind this kind of non-canonical E.T.'s home planet thing that's happening over here. Um, And I mean, I love that part of the ride, too. I think the animatronics are really charming. Uh, and I think the song is fun, but like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's weird, right? Like it, it shouldn't be so on a bike. Weird. It shouldn't be on a bike. No, it's, it's definitely weird. And I didn't realize how weird it was until you started talking about it. Cause it's, it's so, I genuinely do not remember how that ride ended. I remember being on the bike and I remember flying through the air i don't i don't remember going into space it's, i don't it's, remember it's so weird alice there's like a it's, shaman et and the shaman is like et what have you learned and et like <laughs> like pops out of the basket and he's like love and they're like oh, love and then the planet goes from all like dark and grim to like alive and bright because they remember love and oh, then boy and then they sing and then at the end et says goodbye to you and he calls you by name Oh, boy. Do you remember that? Where he's like, goodbye, Alice. Because he said it. It was weird. You're right. He did. He did say that. I remember him saying that. Oh, no. Yeah. That's weird. (laughs) That's a weird ride. It's a weird ride. It's a weird ride. And Steven Spielberg's in a video at the beginning of the ride. And he's like, hey, I helped with this. And it's weird. It's weird. Oh, boy. All right. That is really strange. Universal... (laughs) It really does commit, though. If if nothing else, they fully commit to their ride vehicles and to their um, to like their their exp- when they and when they get it right, they really do get it right. I'm gonna just 
uh, entirely the, the entirety of Harry, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. I agree. When, when when they get it right, they really, really, really get it right. I mean, but the, when they get it wrong, it's so uh, it's weird. Those, both both big rides, both dark rides in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, uh, the Hogwarts one where you're in like a flying bookcase or whatever. Um, or oh, yeah, and the British seats maybe is where you're sitting. And and then the the Gringotts one where you're in the minecart from right. the actual Gringotts. Those, those are both both absolutely perfect, and they're they both really have good. Reasons behind why they're in the universe and why you're sitting in them, um, and they both uh, move and uh, and interact with the environment in a really cool, realistic way. So I love both of those choices. Um, I want to talk about one more Universal ride before we before we kind of move back to our conclusion. Are we going to talk about Transformers? We are going to talk about the Transformers, the ride. Oh my god, yes, thank you. Because oh, I'm so glad that you brought this up. The last <laughs> time we recorded about this, I was like, oh dang. We forgot about Transformers. <laughs> I'm so glad we're going to talk about the Transformers ride because as much as I have no opinion whatsoever about the Transformers like IP or the universe of Transformers, I love this ride. This ride is so strange though from a from a standpoint of whether or not this ride vehicle makes sense in universe um, it totally it not only does it totally make sense in the ride universe they give you they they show you the specs of and the blueprints of this evac vehicle and that's the same i think his name his is name evac, is evac. Uh, that was his name on cybertron for some reason and that's his name on earth as well and he's here and you're riding in him and he's a he's, he's a robot that looks like a man sometimes, but also sometimes looks like a minivan with no with no uh, no top, roof. no roof. Yeah, <laughs> specifically designed specifically designed to transport as many people as possible, so you can fit like twenty people, not that many. You can fit a ton of people into this Inside ride this vehicle. One, this one transformer that I will remind you is conscious and it's, and has so arms that come out <laughs> to deflect bullets and things. Yes, yes, he does. He has arms, and one of the arms has like like a little shield that pops out yeah, and stuff. Yeah, but it's like so designed to fit. I mean, like the it's on like a similar like arm as like uh, the Harry Potter, the Wizarding World, the Hogwarts Forbidden Journey. Mm -hmm. um, it's on like a similar thing where you move from scene to scene through screens and through like physical sets. Um, but because he's designed as as evac, as he's de designed like specifically to be an evacuation vehicle, you can fit a ton of people onto this ride vehicle, <laughs> and and which is so efficient for 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 Universal, like surprisingly efficient for Universal. Yeah, I mean, and narratively efficient too. It it really works out that a trans like. I'm sure somebody at some point sat down and was like, is there a way we could make Optimus Prime like tow a big like truck bed full of people in this ride? And then somebody <laughs> can was we like, fit like 80 people onto the ride at once? <laughs> somebody was like, no, probably not. <laughs> but maybe we can fit like 10 people on one. That would be good. Yeah. And so what if there was a transformer that was just a, a, a minivan? <laughs> specifically an evacuation vehicle and we're going to make this an evacuation and we're going to have all of our poor cast members have to be like go 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 all the time and and get, on the, get on the evac go get in the evac now go 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 oh my God. <laughs> and and then and then you get to fly through the through the city as it's being you know fought over by the transformers and the Bad Transformers. The what are they called? Decepticons. Thank you. <laughs> the Bad Transformers. I want to watch a movie where the bad, the bad Transformers and the Transformers have a fight because they don't like being called the Bad Transformers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, again, I don't know anything about the Transformers universe at all, but I really like this ride. I like the 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 choice of motion. I like how smooth it is. I love the the contrast between the screens and the physical sets. I love the giant star star scream. Is that is that his name? The bad one. Uh, maybe Megatron. Is it Megatron? Uh, the, which um, one? Died? Where Is he's where he's dead at the end, yeah, and like, but he's like a physical, like actual transformer, giant transformer, yeah. like there in your face. Yeah. 
as his eyes like flicker out and he dies right in front of you. Um, it's so good. Yeah. It's fast paced and it's like thrilling. It's almost like got like roller coaster almost elements to it where you're being kind of like whipped around corners and stuff. Yeah. I just think it's so well done. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to love about that ride. Now I'm being a little cheeky and and pointing out how how strange it is that a transformer would be designed this way. But I think part of the cool part about the transformers is that they kind of choose how they're shaped. And yeah, Evac kind of has this personality where he's like, "This is how I want to be. I want to move people, and I want to help people. That that works out. So I think I think that's really good diegetics. Um, now, Alice, it's time to talk about the the grandpappy of them all. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it really can't be an episode of Those Happy Places without a uh, without a mention of the Haunted Mansion. Right. I, I mean, let us let us talk long enough and we'll always circle back to the Haunted Mansion. And we got to talk about the Doom Buggies, possibly we, one of the world's most iconic ride vehicles. We have we have to we talk ha- about the Doom to. Buggy. And, and the thing is, Alice, we already kind of did earlier in the episode because I mean, aren't they exactly the clamshells from the Little Mermaid ride? I mean, technically, yeah. Yeah, from like They're, a technical standpoint. From a technical standpoint, yeah. It's a it's a little bench that you sit on that has a like a like a circular shield that goes up around you that controls the focus of what you can and cannot see while you're on the ride. It's got a safety bar in front of you. No seatbelts, and it rides on an Omnimover track. Crazy All Omnimover. crazy Omnimover. Uh, the the thing is, Alice, is that I really can't decide how I feel about the Doom Buggies in terms of diegetics, in terms of how they exist within their universe, in terms of how they exist within the fiction, uh, and whether or not they simply exist as a means for the audience to experience the fiction. I mean... In what universe does this does this haunted mansion have a trail of <laughs> haunted buggies uh, moving through it constantly? Um, in what world I mean, does that make sense? Are they it, supposed it to be doesn't. ghostly? Like, uh, is that the idea? Like that they're kind of floating through? I know the motion feels very floaty. Yeah, so are they on it on a track like narr- of course they're on a track, but like narratively are they just supposed to be like floating chairs that take you on a tour? I feel like in the original iteration of the ride it was supposed to be a, a walking tour, right? Right. So it's and just a way to keep people m- moving. I mean, technically right. is what that's why it's there. But the Doom buggy even even taken out of the the context of like why we have a series of buggies within a haunted house uh the doom buggy itself has over time gained a little bit of a following has become iconic on its own like it it it, it might not technically make sense like what the heck what is it what is a doom buggy is it being <laughs> drawn by ghostly horses is it like a bug like a buggy buggy is it i mean i don't is it i don't is know it a product of the ghost host like is it something that he created or like makes happen for us um we don't know we do know that what that it is named and it's named by the ghost host he he says climb into the doom buggy yeah um and and he, and, he even he even giggles at it doom buggy like haha i made up this funny name for this vehicle um, it sounds kind of like Dune Buggy, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> that is that is pretty hilarious, actually. Thanks, Ghost Host. Um, and he interacts <laughs> with it. Uh, he, he closes. He does it. lower the safety bar. So, like, what's interesting about the Dune Buggy, diegetically speaking, is that the ride calls it out. Uh, yeah. You know, talks about it, names it, interacts with it. Uh, it feels like a character. It moves in ways that points you at the most interesting stuff in the attraction. Yeah. Um, it even uh, kind of feels like it has its own personality. Like it wobbles and it uh, it spins and stuff in ways that, that kind of feel natural. Kind of what you want to look at, it looks at. Um, yeah. And, the and can ride in it. Yeah, the ghost can hop in it and interact with it. And and all of those things combined, combined with like the 
the kind of like almost cult-like following of the Haunted Mansion itself, of which we are fully a part of, um, has has made it kind of this like enigma and this icon. And and talking about like merch, you can buy a, a Doom Buggy merch, like a toy to play with. That's absolutely a thing you can do. Yeah. So has, now, now here's what, what I want to know. Not just is this diegetic or not, because I, I, I do want to know that, but also does its status as an icon of like how like I, how iconic and how like impactful it is to the writer's experience of this attraction um does that make it more or less diegetic does like mm. it becoming an icon and and like you becoming aware of it as a ride vehicle take away some take away or add to the diegesis of this ride vehicle mm. i i wonder i wonder if the yeah, I think it makes it more diegetic. Uh, I think it makes it exist more in the fiction. I think it makes it more believable that we have this weird, out of place um, conveyor belt style thing. You can see the ones in front of you, the ones next to you. You're really aware of the ride vehicle. Um, and I think by the fiction and, and the fictional characters leaning into it, it takes away the weirdness and then by people becoming more attached to it. Like if tomorrow they like put in invisible doom buggies, let's see, say they figured it out, right? They, they cracked the code and they're like, just uh, walk right here. And the ghost host is going to make you float through the ride. And, and like, <laughs> and it did, it happened. Right. Uh, yeah. People would be pissed. <laughs> they, they, would <laughs> yeah. lose, they would lose their crap because like, they they'd they'd be like, where's the Doom buggies? Like, what is this newness? Stop this! It's not please. not quite the haunted mansion without the Doom buggy. And, and I think the Doom buggy therefore has transcended the way that it looks and the way that it uh, kind of fits or doesn't fit into the environment, and it's become more of a player in the fiction of the ride, and that excuses all of its design flaws. Um, that makes it real for the haunted mansion and by design flaws you mean simply like it does it like the the flaw of it not the flaw of it not making sense not making sense <laughs> right. the flaw of it not exist not really existing not having a, a real world analog or having a place within the fiction at all right it, it you can overlook is, all of that yeah and 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 like we said there are rides where that's fine if it doesn't fit into the fiction but the haunted mansion i think is such a immersive experience anyways you literally like go down an elevator and get kind of sucked in almost into the mansion itself where so you're so much in the fiction of the mansion that having a doom buggy that does not make any sense shouldn't work it should it shouldn't you should be like wait a second what are these I am fully been sucked into by a stretching room into a mansion. I'm surrounded by scary paintings. I don't know what's going on. I'm terrified. And also, why does a mansion have <laughs> have this track running through it? That doesn't make any sense. But you, you never find yourself asking that question. And I think that comes no. down to the strength of the Doom Buggies themselves and the ways yeah. that the narrative plays with the Doom Buggies and the ways... I kind of waking at it and yeah i mean i mean here's 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 a weak deployment of a more diegetically appropriate ride vehicle but like pirates of the caribbean it's just mm -hmm. a boat it's it's a boat and it's a weird shape for a boat it's not a shape that any boat should be um Except but, kind of like a lifeboat maybe yeah kind of but also it's it's five by five alice like it doesn't make any <laughs> sense uh or um here's 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 a here's the Splash Mountain. It, it's a log. <laughs> that, that it <laughs> you is. Shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to ride a lot. Like, it doesn't make actual sense. Right. But, but you know, you just do it. You just, you go, all right, yeah, I'm going to get in this, this log and, and go down a, go down a, a log flume. Right. Like, sure. And these, whatever. these make, these make nominal sense in their universes. Like, okay, I could see like a log. It's like natural. It's like the wilderness, whatever. We're, we're splash mountaining. Um, I could see a boat, like whatever. We're pirates. Like these make nominal sense. The doom buggy is beyond all of that. It says, I am me. 
and I am great. <laughs> uh, so hop in, guys. It's an adventure. Uh, right. And that's that's why I think the Doom Buggy has its own fandom, uh, because it has the audacity to say that. Yeah, it's it's extremely unique. And I and yeah, I love it. Gotta love it. You gotta love it's it. It's on an Omni Mover. It's on an Praise the Omni Mover. Praise the Omni Mover. It is the Omni Mover. It is like the that's... Omni Mover. That's yeah. true. Well, Alice, it seems like our conversation about diegetics and ride vehicles has finally come to an end. That's right. But before we go, we want to uh, extend some thank yous. Once again, I want to thank our listener, Gerardo, for the idea for this episode and for that really, really sweet uh, email that he sent us. Yes. And if you've ever looked at our show and said, ah, there's no way they'd ever respond to an email from me. We will make an entire episode based on your ideas if we can find a way to do it, guys. We are so excited for all sorts of fan interactions. So thank you, Gerardo, again, for uh, contacting us and asking for uh, an episode about this. We're really excited about it. Yeah, we uh, I, we also want to thank all of our listeners who have been talking to us on Twitter and on Discord. We've had a lot of amazing uh, experiences over the last few weeks talking to people um, about all things theme park related and if you want to join that conversation you should you should for one join the conversation and you can do so by following us on on twitter i'm at alice white thp for those happy places and i'm at buddy underscore duquesne duquesne is spelled d-u-q-u-e-s-n-e and really, the conversation never ends. At the end of the episode, we suddenly become enlightened and have all sorts of great other ideas that we never got to talk about. And that's where we share them on Twitter and Discord. So please reach out, talk to us. We're so excited to share more ideas with you guys. Yes. Uh, and and also, buddy, I want to thank you. What? Thank you for having this conversation with me two times now. <laughs> and it's so exciting to me that we just had this second version of this conversation. And yet we talked about even more. We somehow talked even more things in the same amount of time that we did the first time. We we barely touched on Universal Studios in the last episode. And I'm so glad that we that we sunk more into the tram ride and into the Transformers ride, things that we that we didn't we didn't touch on in the first version of this episode. And that uh, that ability to have that kind of conversation with you means so much to me. And I'm so glad that we have this project where we can share these conversations with everyone. Alice, thank you so much for being such an excellent co-host. Uh, the fact is, I think we actually have sent our best version of this episode out there and i'm so glad to share it with everybody and i can't wait because soon we're going to be putting together a couple of holiday episodes and we're going to record our first episode together in the same room for the first time in wow nine episodes this is going to be so cool yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't actually had a chance to sit down and record in the same room since episode twelve, which we recorded so, all the way back in the summer. So it's going to be really cool to actually do this. Uh, I can't wait to hang out with you. This is extremely exciting. I'm so excited to see you, and uh, I'm excited for listeners to hear these upcoming episodes. So stay tuned, everyone. Yeah, uh, Alice, do you have anything coming up that you wanted to share? Uh, sure, I'll share uh, the other podcast that I host, uh, Rogue Fun, a podcast story, is uh, we're we're celebrating the uh, the second anniversary of the release of of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, um, which is the best Star Wars movie ever made. Uh, don't don't argue with me on that. Don't at her. <laughs> Do not at her. So yeah, for the two year anniversary of Rogue One, we are releasing a full two hour and 15 minute commentary track for the film. You'll be able to watch the film right alongside us and hear all of our, our thoughts and opinions and feelings and tears about the, about the film. Uh, we had a great time recording it and I think we hit some really, really excellent thinking points. So if you're into Star Wars, if you're into Rogue One, or if you're not into Rogue One and want to be convinced to be into Rogue One, uh, give it a listen. Uh, we're on Twitter at RogueFunPod. Uh, and and that will uh, link you to our episodes. Alice, I can't wait to listen to that commentary track, even though I have watched this movie with you in person and <laughs> I have watched it online with you and Ponders at the same time. I can't wait to hear what you guys talked about this time, because every time you look at Rogue One, you guys find new stuff. And that's what makes Rogue Fun 
so much fun to listen to. So it's going to be really amazing. Buddy, do you have anything coming up? Uh, Yeah, actually, Alice, I've decided that before the new year, I was going to make this a new year resolution, but I decided I wanted to do it before the new year because why wait for an arbitrary day to start working on your goals? Um, I've got a new podcast coming out. It's called Lemmy Mash. Uh, and it's I a, love it. It's a podcast about mashup, uh, mashup music and the unique emotions and feelings that it can give you. Um, and I'm starting with a couple of really great songs. I've already reached out to the mashup artists that made them. Uh, and I'm not going to spoil them here, but follow me on Twitter for more updates and look out for more episodes of Lemmy Mash. Uh, because I am not a music theorist by any stretch of the imagination, but I have a lot of feelings about mashups that I want to share. And I think I've got some insightful things to say about these tracks that I've got lined up. So stay tuned. I'm so excited for this podcast. You've always loved a good mashup and you send me your best ones all the time. You have really good taste in mashups too. So I'm so excited to hear this. Yeah, it's going to be really great. Uh, And we have a couple of other secret projects coming down the pipeline. Alice, I know about at least one from you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've got one that I haven't talked about yet with anybody. Uh, So hopefully those are also going to be amazing and will be out soon as well. Yeah, stay tuned, everybody. Uh, So, Alice, uh, right now, did you know that our listeners are hearing our theme music? Our theme music is Golden Gate by the California Feet Wormers featuring Phil Alpin. By those people and featuring that person. Now, did you know that if they wanted to find more music by the Feet Wormers, they could find that and many other tracks at CaliforniaFeetWormers.com? I did know that. Now, tell me about that uh, extra music that you put in this episode. Well, you know, when I go through and I edit, I think I'm going to put in some music by uh, Kevin McLeod, who you can find all of his music at incomptech.com. He's an amazing, amazingly prolific composer who has released all of his tracks uh, under Creative Commons licenses so we can use them in our episodes. So thank you, Kevin McLeod, for uh, sending those to us via the internet and sharing. It's very nice of you. Yes, thank you, Kevin. Uh, One last thank you to our listeners, uh, everybody on Twitter and on Discord, and especially Gerardo. Thank you, Gerardo, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Yes, thank you for listening, and we hope you return to those happy places.